have another porcupine ejaculation story. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast that's kind of another different podcast today, the Safari Podcast. That was weird. Many of the things I say there are weird, though, so that's okay. Uh, but yeah, so I'm pretty excited that we are doing a pod swap today. You see, it turns out that there is a former zookeeper that now runs a podcast called Weird Animal Facts Explicit, because it's all, like, explicit and stuff, and she shares weird animal facts. I guess that was kind of in the title. I didn't really have to say that, but um, anyway, when I found out about that podcast and checked it out, I thought that a lot of the humor in it was kind of similar to mine, and the fact that the host is a former zookeeper meant that we might make a good fit for each other's podcasts. So today I am bringing you my interview with Deidre Osterhout, who is a former zookeeper and currently the podcast host that I just told you about. And um, we're going to get into a lot of really cool stuff. We're going to talk about her podcast and, and share what her mission and the story of that is. But we're also going to do the normal deep dive into the career. We're going to talk about um, her time as an intern, her time at Living Desert in California, which is an amazing facility that we haven't really gotten to talk about on the podcast yet, so I'm excited for you to hear some of that, uh, and her time at Zoo Atlanta. You'll even get to hear a really cool alligator training story. Now, as I mentioned, Deidre's podcast is explicit. It is made for adults, and this one is not necessarily that, although we get, you know, we get a little naughty from time to time. Um, and so this episode is done in the spirit of Rasafari. There, there's no cursing or anything like that going on. I might say H-E double hockey sticks once, something like that. I don't know. But um, it's... It goes off the rails a little bit. We get a little crazy. We have a little fun. And uh, as you heard in the preview, there there may be some, you know, naughtier stories, all in the spirit of education and humor and all good stuff, though. So uh, I'm really excited to share all of those with you. Also, in her time at these various zoos, um, Deidre wrote a lot of the shows that were presented to audiences to teach education and conservation. So we talk a little bit about what that looks like, both from a writing standpoint and from a collaborating with others in the zoo standpoint. Oh, and um, we laugh a lot. This one, did I mention it goes off the rails? It, it, it goes a little off the rails. Now, I mentioned that Deidre's podcast, along with being explicit, shares uh, weird animal facts. And so this is a true pod swap. When you are done listening to this episode, and only when you are done listening to this episode, you can head on over on the same app you're listening on now to Weird Animal Facts Explicit, and you will find a red panda-themed episode released today featuring yours truly as a guest. It was really fun going on Deidre's podcast and uh, sharing some weird animal facts about red pandas, although I will tell you, it stayed true to her podcast and we got a little explicit. So if you want to hear your sweet animal buddy, John, dropping F-bombs and making naughty jokes, then head on over to Deidre's podcast and you'll hear just that. But before you hear my interview on her podcast or her interview on mine, you get to hear an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. 
Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. So without further ado, here is my interview with Deidre Osterhout of the Weird Animal Facts Explicit Podcast. Tell me who you are. Uh, my name is Deidre Osterhout, and I am the host of Weird Animal Facts Explicit Podcast. Yeah, Podcast you are. for adults. Yes, yes, for for yeah. for adults with childlike humor, which yes. is why we're going to have such a great conversation because uh, that's <laughs> us too. So, um you started out uh before the podcast, um you 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 have been a keeper, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for about a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh so I want to get to some of those stories, but let's talk about the pod. Let's let's start off. Um so what made you decide to do a podcast? Well, it actually as many things started over the last few years with COVID. <laughs> um, I actually was an ambassador animal keeper. So uh, basically any of the education animals, talking to guests was really my passion. And then when COVID came, that kind of hit me pretty hard because the only reason, the main reason I got into zookeeping is to educate people. Uh, so with that, uh, that year when COVID hit, I uh, actually had written our brand new show our kids show had everything designed and we had the set all organized everything was ready to go and then bump it up covid and i was having a hard time because like part of my release because you know everyone has like stressor release whether it's like running playing video games mine was like educating and talking to people and i wasn't able to do that and so with the zoo i was i worked really hard with uh pr like let's do videos let's do more and uh well, they only did a little bit. And as an ambassador keeper, I thought we should do even more. And I kind of felt like I was the only one doing it, like really, really trying to do it. Um, but again, that's what made me feel good. Other people needed other things, but I needed to talk to people. And so we did some videos here and there. Um, but then one of the issues with the videos um, wasn't an issue. It was more something that bugged me. Is like I had to go through so many channels because I was a keeper three. So I had to go through my lead keeper, had to go through my curator had to go through sometimes their curator npr so i had like at least four different people i had to jump through like is this approved is this approved and it got you know it was kind of a uh, frustrating at times and oh, then yeah. um, you, you're talking to a, a another podcast host who yeah. interviews people at zoos <laughs> oh you get the Let whole pr the tell you about some of the hoops that i have had to jump through <laughs> it is amazing <laughs> i mean you're right especially sometimes what happens is i'll meet a keeper like on insta or you know heaven forbid in person and they'll be interested in doing the podcast and so that's awesome but like you said they're like a keeper three so then they've got to run it by their lead keeper who then wants to know why i don't want to interview their keeper one and then that person needs to take it to pr and pr has two people and then in some of the bigger zoos there's a legal team that needs to look at you know paperwork about it and yeah it is and yeah, the best part hits. about it for me is that every single zoo has a different policy if there was like a zoo pr policy yes. i'd be golden I'd, I'd have my little checklist and i do the thing but that's I not a thing especially no, at aza i know i have <laughs> literally gotten emails from pr people and luckily they've all been really nice um but saying like you know john you you did the wrong thing here this and there was one time that i literally got two emails in the same day one of which was you absolutely need to go through the pr team first never talk to a keeper until you have spoken to the pr team and the other one was you need to talk to the keeper work it out with them and then they need to bring it to the pr team and <laughs> they were both who, like who's going to be offended by what ah, and they were both like mildly annoyed with me and i'm good with people and i can be <laughs> sweet and i was able to charm my way out of all of it but i literally had these two emails sitting back to back and i was like you know maybe i should just do my own podcast where I talk to myself every week. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's really what, uh, why I kind of started the podcast. But also, you know, like I said, it was COVID. 
And usually, like, I was talking about stress release. It was not just, like, educating people, but it was also, like, my stress release was playing soccer, on a team, traveling. I wasn't able to do any of this stuff. And so oh, yeah. I started getting really stressed. And I'm, like, and I had this, like, weird epiphany. I was, like, I can just do this instead. I can just do a podcast. I don't have to drop my Zoo's name at all. And I can just say what I want, educate the people in my the way I feel is appropriate. I don't have to deal with all the political correctness of the zoo world. There's a reason you have explicit in the title. Yes, and I hope that's very clear to people. I try to make it very clear. <laughs> all I need is like one person like, my kid watched this and I'm like, uh, or listen to this. And I'm like, well, it says explicit, not my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> At least they learned something. That's the overall good point. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that you say that, though, with the whole COVID uh, release thing because you know I'm a drummer and I not only not only is that my my work but that is my like you said that's my physical I mean pounding the snot out of the drums there is <laughs> oh, it nothing makes you feel real good better oh man yeah no it's it is I'm a pretty chill person overall but but I think I'm mostly a chill person because I'm hitting the drums so regularly you know yeah. and um, my favorite part about being a musician is collaboration. Uh, I'm not super into drum solos. I'm not super into all of that kind of stuff. I can do it. And if an audience likes it, cool. But like it's supporting singers and guitarists and pianists and all that, that really I feel cool about when I take someone's solo to the next level or someone makes a mistake and I catch it and fix it for them from behind the drums. Those are the moments where I'm like, oh, <laughs> and, um, so even though I could still kind of play my acoustic drums at home alone as long as it wasn't so much that my neighbor would complain. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, COVID was rough for all of that. Yeah. And, and um, for everyone too. Like, oh, yeah. Even like the zoo I worked, I was at Zoo Atlanta when COVID hit and it was, when the zoo closed, it was like, whoa. It was so weird because like only like the animal staff was there. Like everyone else was gone and it was just like, you know, so everyone had their own stuff going on. Had to find a had to find a new way to release all this stress and whatever else you needed to feel good about yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the podcast some more. Tell me, like, how's it going? Are are you getting some traction? Are people seeming to dig it? I hope so. I don't have a whole. You know, I don't. I feel like every podcaster is like, I don't have as many people as I want. You know, you always want to get more listeners, reach more people. Um, but the people who listen are, uh, they're dedicated listeners and I love them. And they're always like commenting on all my Instagrams. And uh, actually, I recently started a TikTok, which when I did, I felt very, very old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is why I do not keep up my TikTok. I have a Rasafari pod <laughs> TikTok, but um, yeah, it's... It's I go there and it's it's 16 year old girls doing dances yeah. that I don't understand to songs that I don't understand and showing their booties. And uh, and then I'm like, cool, I'm going to get off this app now. Thanks. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> for a younger crowd. Well, I remember when I was researching how to like, you know, uh, reach more people with like the podcast and like how to like, you know, I, I asked some people at work as I put my reading glasses on. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what's Reddit? How do hashtags work? And I was felt I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so old right now. These girls weren't that much younger than me, but like they kind of, they, I think I knew a little bit more than them. But right. back to the TikTok, I, I put like a couple of videos up about um, if humans acted like animals and it was about like a tarantula, uh, the their mating strategy. And uh, after that, I actually got a lot more listens on my podcast. So I'm learning how to utilize social media. And I nice. hate social media. Nice. Yeah, no, I get that. I um Insta is my baby and yeah. I like it. Um I my you have a numbers... nice Instagram page. All your well, pictures you. are so amazing. Thank I mean you. you have a lot of red panda, which I understand because it's stinking cute, but Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have I lately I've been I, I I go through phases where I'm like no more than one red panda a week. And then <laughs> when I'm when I'm having a rougher time or just whatever, suddenly you'll find like four or five in a week and I'm like finding lame excuses to sneak an extra panda on and be like, No, no, this is here because it slightly relates to Are your to fans ever like if you're like not 
putting red pandas out for a little while. Like, where are the red pandas? Oh yeah, I've, I've I've gotten complaints. I literally have gotten complaints um, from people that the funny thing is they're not like podcast people. They're because it started as just an Instagram. I was just using it for my zoo photos, and then I started using that to try to engage with people in the community and do some fundraising. And then I started the podcast, and. Um, uh, people who have been following me for years, yeah. If I, if if I, and I always do. Every Monday is a red panda pick. I call it my red panda Mondayum, and um, it's it's a panda pick and a you know encouraging message uh, along with a bad pun. It's pretty great. But um, <laughs> if uh, if I ever go like two weeks without putting up a panda other than on Mondays, I start to get complaints. I literally <laughs> do from people that I don't even know. They're not the people I've engaged with or anything, and it's just like, hey man, haven't seen any pandas in a while. It's like, okay. Okay, cool. I think all right, cool. All right. Um but yeah, it's it's really interesting the social media thing. Um and podcasts. I've been experimenting with it a lot and there's there's no right answer. There are times that I will promote the hell out of an episode and it will be I mean, all of my episodes get roughly the same number of listens over the same number of time. It's pretty pretty consistent. But some of my lowest listened to are the ones that were promoted by a person like my guest, uh, some of whom have quite the following, much larger than mine, and um, they'll promote him, and I'll promote him multiple times, and and nothing comes of it. And um, other ones, my most listened to episode is a uh, is uh, Caitlin Bach from Pasa, and Pasa is the Pan African Sanctuary Alliance, which is like a um, great ape uh, conservation organization. Not super well known compared to a lot of other things, you know, like zoos and stuff. Not a ton of followers. To my memory, Pasa didn't promote the episode. Caitlin promoted it, but she's one of those more private people who has like 300 followers on Instagram. And that's still I, a lot for an independent. That's more yeah, than no, me. No, it's solid. It's solid. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, you know, she promoted it once and I promoted it once. And it is my most listened to episode by like a lot. Like, 10 percent more than any other (laughs) listen um meanwhile when you go back to like my early episodes that are all pretty like i said about the same number of listens overall you know over time um the one and i'm not gonna say who it is i'm not gonna be mean but the the person who who has by far the least numbers has a huge internet following has way more than than i would have you know than i i can dream of having right now and um promoted the hell out of it. And so did I. And, and for whatever reason, it just didn't click. And it is still other than like my most recent, that just haven't caught up yet. It is my least listened to episode. And whenever I go back and look at my stats, I'm like, how? I know it's so weird. I have a, well, most, most, my listen, most listen ones are like the more, cause it's about animals. Most pot, like the panda has a lot of listens. Dolphin has a lot of listens, obviously. But then like I had one, it was the, the sea star, and I forgot what I did with it because we did two animals per episode. That one all of a sudden like skyrocketed, and I was like, "What? Why is this one so so high?" Like I had, I didn't even like really do any like social media for it. And I don't know if you can hear my dogs right now. Yes. They're wrestling. Yes, okay. that's adorable. That's what that's what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, what's Dolly an animal podcast without you know animals? Without what, some animals. What did yeah. you say their names were? Dolly and Ron. Nice. That's cute. Very cute. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Shh. Working now, Doug. <laughs> All right. So we have we have spent a long time nerding out about podcast stuff, and uh, <laughs> yes. hopefully I still have some <laughs> listeners. Um, but I do think it's cool. I think people like to listen to, like, get into the weeds a little bit about yeah. something that they like. But enough of that crap. Let's get to aminals. Um, so tell me about, like, what made you want to become a keeper and what steps did you take to start that career? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, I can actually pinpoint this to when I was in preschool. Uh, I, I grew up in Silverton, Oregon. It's a very uh, tiny town. You have to like get lost kind of to get to this town. It's not off the freeway. Um, but in preschool, it was Sunshine Preschool, uh, there was Teacher Terry. And Teacher Terry worked at the Humane Society. And sh- because of that, she would bring like um, teachings of how to treat animals, how to greet a dog, how to respect them. And I know from that moment, like that's what like sparked my love for animals. And what's crazy though, Teacher Terry is actually my brother-in-law's great aunt. Whoa, all right. That's, <laughs> That's cool. how small my little town is, but <laughs> uh, and I actually got to tell her at my sister's wedding. I was like, "Teacher Terry, you won't believe this. I'm a zookeeper because of you." <laughs> so that was actually like really exciting. 
And then I also, this other thing, I don't remember this. My dad remembers this. Um, in Oregon, there's the wildlife safari, which is like where a lot of cheetahs, they have a lot of cheetahs there, basically. And uh, I guess this is how my dad tells me. He said there was a, they had a, a show with a cheetah and they had a cheetah up there on the stage. And my dad said, I turned to him and I said, that's what I want to do. And I don't remember this at all, but I'm like, okay, I believe you, dad, because my dad doesn't lie. Um, and so even as a kid, I always wanted to work with big cats. That was like my dream. And then I went to school. I uh, did a community college in Oregon, but my, uh, I really wanted to go to Maine. There's this tiny environmental college up in Maine called Unity, and it's called America's Environmental College. And uh, this college is actually, uh, it, was, it was great for what I needed because I came from a small town. This was a small college. And to describe this college, half of the college was like redneck. The other half was like hippie. And I was just like <laughs> random jock in the middle. Wait, got along what the hell? Sides. <laughs> I'm picturing lots of blood on a Saturday night, but uh, you know, whatever. No, I guess, I guess it was kind of like split through the campus, but I mean, they got along. They were like respectable, but you could tell there was still like the very conservative and the very liberal uh, just because like half of the, half of the degrees were like conservation law enforcement and the other half was adventure education. And then there were like, it was a new degree that mine was. It was captive wildlife care and education. Big mouthful. <laughs> uh, but that's what I got my degree in. And then while I was in school, part of uh, getting your excuse me, part of graduating, you had to do internships. And these are unpaid internships, which I don't the know. The best kind, right? Yeah, I don't know if you've talked about it here on your podcast with some of your guests, but uh, you don't get paid to do interns. Uh, but I did two internships. Uh, the first one was back in Oregon uh, at the High Desert Museum. And this is actually where my grandparents live in this little tiny town, uh, Bend, Oregon. Not tiny. I guess it's kind of bigger. Uh, but that, I actually, because I wanted to work with the cats, like I said earlier. But this was with the Ambassador Animal Park Department. And, uh, oh, I fell in love with it. They had, so it's the High Desert Museum. So they have animals of the High Desert that are local to Bend, Oregon. So they had things like porcupines, who are amazing, skunks, all the birds of prey you can imagine that are around there, Great Horned Owl, Red-Tailed Hawk, Harris's Hawk, Barnet. I could keep going on and on because I just, I love these animals. So they have chuckwallas. Oh, I'm getting carried away because they're just, I love it. And like that was when I was like, this is what I want to do. When I like, my brain just switched. And I'm like, I want to educate people. I want to work with these small animals who can't murder me and <laughs> educate people. And then my other internship that I did was completely different, and it was at Sea Life Park in Hawaii, which uh, was all with dolphins. Oh, and, nice. Uh, well, see, people always say that, but I'm like, well, that's when I learned I didn't want to work with dolphins. Yeah, I can understand that, but I would still imagine it was cool to be there in freaking Hawaii with dolphins. Great. My tan was amazing, except for <laughs> the fact that I always wore, like, rash guard, so it was just, like, a t-shirt tan and short tan, but... The parts that was tanned was very tanned, so <laughs> I looked very good. <laughs> I had a very sexy farmer's tan. <laughs> well, they also had, let's see, they had dolphins there, and they had um, a false killer whale, sea lions, um, they had uh, monk seals, and they also had Humboldt penguins, which I love the penguins so nice. much. <laughs> um, but actually, like I said, I, I learned I didn't want to work with dolphins there, and I think it was mainly because... Um, this wasn't like an AZA place. It was mainly people would come to swim with dolphins. And so that's what they did. And I was getting up. I got upset because the trainers who were training the dolphins, like they love the animals, but they didn't have requirements to teach people. And I'm like, here you have these people who make a lot of money because they can afford to do this uh, encounter with these dolphins, but you're not going to tell them why they should give their money to a good cause. It was just like, here's my money. Let me swim. And that was it. And I'm like, you have this opportunity to use. It. And that's what frustrated me about that. But also dolphins, they are sinister. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever seen that video of that guy like paddleboarding and all of a sudden those dolphins come up and oh, you can tell that dolphin. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to take this guy out. They know what they're doing. He's kind of oh, yeah. sneaky. Oh yeah. Very smart animals. Yes, they're smiling, but, but like the, an evil the, smile. the question is, is it evil or did that dude deserve it? Because most people I know <laughs> deserve it, to be fair. I know. He looked like he was just chilling out. But <laughs> I actually, this is a story I actually told on my podcast. Uh, when During this internship, 
uh, one of the girls who I worked with, she was, uh, there's like little platforms, looks like like walking a plank from pool to pool. She was walking along that. And when I told her my podcast is that she slipped and fell in the water and the trainers like stopped everything and doing rushed over and the dolphin responded really quick to them. But what really happened, because Rachel <laughs> told me this later, she's like, no, no, no. He actually pushed me in the water. He ran into the, the fence and she fell in. <laughs> and I was like, what? That would have made my podcast the episode so much better. <laughs> That's amazing. So there, but I mean, he didn't hurt her at all. Like, no, right. I'm sure it was done in like a playful way because he could have if he wanted to. Like, but not even saying that. The response time of the trainers, the response time of the trainers was so fast that I was like, he could have murdered her, but Mm -hmm. he did it. He did it. She's perfectly fine and wonderful in every in every way. It's just they could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think it's really important to to remember at all times when dealing with animals that like. They're animals, you know? I I always like to point out, I have one scar from all of my interactions with animals, and it's from a red panda. And most people would be shocked by that fact, but a red panda is the one that has left a scar. Um, But a lot of times when I I meet animals and and people listening hear the cute little audio of it and and love it— Either things have happened where, you know, occasionally where I just, oh, you know, a little cut, a little scratch, whatever. Or a lot of the times um, I'm fine and nothing happens, but I get a very severe talking to beforehand and a like reminder like, John, you know, we're letting you do this, but this is not an ambassador animal that you're meeting. They're not trained for this. Um, don't sue us if something happens. I, I have to agree to that a lot. Yeah. And, well, the thing and, is you know, too about all the – Keepers, trainers, anyone who like works with animals, they understand an animal so well that they're not going to put someone like you who's not a zookeeper into a situation where you could potentially get hurt. Like they obviously have faith in the animal and their relationship with that animal that they can – they can protect you, I guess, for lack well, of terms. Well, I think terms. I think what happens is too. A lot of them get to know me a little bit, and over the course of the interview and everything, realize yeah, they know that, you're not going to be an idiot about it. Well, and that I will respect them because yeah. I have had situations where you know nothing's going off the rails, but you could start to tell. Hell, even I could start to tell the animal's behavior is getting a little, and it's instantly yeah. okay, John. I need you to take three steps back and do not look at the animal right now, or I need you to do this or mm-hmm. that, and um, and I do. I'm not going to be the idiot that's like, no, no, I'm just, it's yeah. fine, it's fine. And and that has been helpful. But I think that's, um, you know, I talk to a lot of a lot of fans that are like, oh, it's so cool that you get to do all this stuff. I wish I could do that stuff. And it's, it's yeah, you do. But you also, there's a reason that general public doesn't get to do stuff, but I've gotten to because mm-hmm. of, of the podcast, you know. Yeah, and, you're being respectful. And that's yeah. like, that's all that any person who works with animals or even just like with nature wants, they want you to respect it. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. I mean, just yeah. like I want you to respect me. You want me to respect you. It's just, there needs to be more respect in the world. There really does. It's actually one of my, my big pet peeves, even just like the amount of times that, you know, someone will cut you off and then flick you off. Or um, right? the other day, I live some- in Atlanta. I know what the, I know what it's like. People yeah, are like, you yeah. put your blinker on. They're like, Oh no way. They speed up and mm-hmm. then they flip yeah. you off. I'm like, I'm, I, I put my blinker on, sir. Yeah, yeah. It's not actually your road. Yeah, the, just the other day, a, a dude literally just stopped in the middle of the road to go put um, mail in a mailbox. And there was a parking spot like 50 feet in front of him. And he got out and I just, I rolled down my window and I, I didn't yell. I wasn't ripped. I was just like, you realize there's parking right there, right? And he goes, yeah, I do. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> You're blocking traffic. It literally could have blocked the intersection the way that. The good this thing was you were nice about it because there's some people who would have yelled and I would have escalated it. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't. don't like you said, we need more there. respect in the yeah. world, and I believe yeah. that. And I try really hard to be that guy. Although sometimes people, man. <laughs> well, that's why those zookeepers let you in. I mean, most people at the zoo are so nice and so respectful, and like, uh, I love. I mean, the people at the zoo. It's like your second family. Yeah. It's a small little community, which I'm sure you've gotten to know by now. And everyone's just so kind and welcoming of everyone. It's like your brother, your sister, your aunt. It's just, it's just warm, mm-hmm. warm place. Absolutely. So, okay. So after, after the, the schooling and the internship and all of that, where was the first real job? The first real job was Toffus Park Zoo, which they've changed their name to Idaho, Idaho Falls, Falls Zoo. Yes. So yeah, it was, but I was the, um, the seasonal animal show assistant. And uh, this was like, oh, I love this because, well, my dad's a drama teacher. So I grew up with like theater as a background. And both my parents are like educators and teachers. 
And so like, I'm like, oh, I get to work with animals and I get to do shows. This is fantastic. So it's everything I wanted. And it was a small zoo. And the best part about small zoos, like when you're working there, is that you do everything. So you get to learn how to train animals uh, kind of on your own, so to speak, too. <laughs> um, I also like kind of built a fence. Never built a fence before. Uh, I worked with all sorts of animals. And I got to train like zoo teens and volunteers. And I had to do everything from, like I said, uh, building a fence, putting like pigeon wire up on something. It's, you're doing everything. But it was a small, it was a seasonal job. Um, but it was a great job. It was a great starting job right out of college. Um, and it was on the West Coast. So I've kind of, I've hopped around a bit. If you keep in keeping track of all the states I've lived at. <laughs> uh, so I was there for two summers. I, I and... have to interrupt you for just a second. Yeah. You said, said Idaho, right? Idaho, yeah. West Coast, huh? I love the West Coast. I'm no, from no, Oregon. I, don't don't get me wrong. I love the West Coast. I spend as much time in California as I possibly can. I've just never heard anyone refer to to Idaho as the West Coast before, like well, that far over. I mean, it's not on the coast, but compared to where I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, right now. Fair, fair. And I, and I went to school in Maine, so like that's that's more West Coast than where I'm at now. So. That's fair. I just I just had to bust your chops a little bit because I'm like I have spent you know a couple of days playing in Idaho and uh, I, I mean, don't remember not much any coastline in Idaho. So I mean that was like that was courteous. <laughs> that's fair. So so go ahead and and tell me like what kind of animals were you working with there at the now Idaho Falls Zoo? Yeah, uh, let's see. We I got to train an auger buzzard, and uh, it's actually a hawk from Africa. So it's like a red tail hawk, but from Africa. But they call them buzzards instead of hawks. Cool. Um, so I got to train. I forgot its name, but I got to train that. Um, Harris's hawk. Oh yeah, hair. I love that Harris's hawk. And his name was Hunter. He was really cool. He just sat in your glove perfectly. Oh, we didn't nice. have a kennel. I had to walk him down to the vet one day, and it was raining, and then we didn't have a kennel because you know it's a small zoo. But I had him a rain jacket, and he was so chill. I was just able to put the rain jacket over top his head, and he was like, "Whatever, man." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and then see, we had, there was a farm too. So we had like pigs. Um, was it a llama or alpaca? Don't quite remember. But there's also all those small reptiles. Oh, I love snakes so much. We had, we had milk snakes, a sandbow, I believe. Chuck Wallace. I love Chuck Wallace. Yeah. Chuck Wallace are really cool. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember all the animals because that was like <laughs> more than a decade ago now. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. I got to work with all these different animals and uh, write shows and do shows and perform them. And uh, yeah, it was great. I loved it. That's really cool. Yeah. So where to after that? Then I didn't go. I stayed. This time I was really on the West Coast. I went to California. Okay. Now we're in the West Coast. Good. Yes. Good. <laughs> and <laughs> this was the living desert. Have you been oh, there? I love the living desert. Oh, and like, I'm going back soon. Oh, um, they have yeah. that new habitat. Like when I left, they were just talking about putting in their new, um, the new Australian and rhino habitat. And I haven't been there since, but like, oh, they've come so far. They were already like one of the, they were always voted one of the top prettiest zoos. And it's because of the desert landscape. And, yeah, it's insane. And if people, if you don't know the desert, you should go to the living desert. It will introduce you to the desert. It's like the Mojave Desert. And they have, their garden department is amazing. Like it's a botanical garden too. And it's just Oh, I, uh, I love, I love desert plants and desert animals too. Um, so anyways, back to my story. I stopped <laughs> stop raving about the living deserts. Uh, I got hired at, for a new position and it was the, um, the outreach coordinator. So it was called wildlife on wheels. So I ran the Zoomobile program. And so I actually got hired to start the program, design the program, run anything, anything that had to do with the Zoomobile that was me and kind of only me. Uh, but it was wow. fantastic because um, I was in the animal department, but I also worked hand in hand with education. Like my office was in the education department, but it was part of ambassadors. So I was like the only one working with like uh, our porcupine, Bramble, who his parents came from High Desert Museum where I interned at. So I was like, oh my gosh, you're like my baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I love that porcupine. Um, porcupines and, are great, by the way. If, if oh anyone who's listening gets a chance to do an animal encounter with a porcupine, it, it might seem like 
like why meet a rodent or whatever, but oh man, they are cool and personable and fun to feed. And I, I actually have a story about Ooh. Mr. Bramble. Well, let's that, hear it. So, uh, like I said, I was the only one working with him, really. I mean, there are other keepers working with him, but he was um, brought to the living desert to go on zoomobiles. And so I was his primary keeper. And so I trained him to sit on a little table and do some behaviors like he could wave and spin around and he'd just sit there looking pretty. But because I was his only trainer, he liked me a lot. And he was also trained to step up onto gloves. And so their bellies don't have quills on them. Uh, their back part do. And uh, their back part have their quills there have little spikes on them uh, that uh, can get stuck on you sometimes. Anyways, so that's why we could ask him to step up without us hurting, without it hurting us. So to have him step up, I would put my gloved hands out um, and he'd step up. I give him a little treat. And he'd sit there perfectly because he was so well behaved. And so one time we were at the Marriott because we had this program with the Marriott. And so we'd go to this fancy resort with all these people coming to watch. And one time uh, I asked Bramble to step up and he puts his hands on my gloves and then he kind of stands up, but his back legs aren't coming up. And I'm like, okay, in my head, what's going on? And I have a, I have a, like a Madonna mic on. What's it called? Not a lapel, the headset mic. Right, right. And, yeah. uh, I like to call them Britney mics because, you there know, we go. I, I try to be That's a little more, more relevant. Time. But yeah. <laughs> That makes me sound so old now. Not that old. <laughs> Anyways, I have my Britney mic on. <laughs> and so he's still standing. I'm like, and in my head, I'm like, why is he standing up? But I'm still like educating the people, talking to them. And all of a sudden, his, uh, his part comes up <laughs> and he starts ejaculating on me. And, and uh, this is why her podcast is explicit, friends. <laughs> <laughs> this story has not come up in my podcast, but he was doing that. And oh my gosh, I, I don't know what my face is doing, but I had to try so hard not to burst up laughing because there's <laughs> kids in the audience. And I was like, uh, so I pulled my hands away real quick because I'm like, I don't know if I should talk about this in front of the kids. And so I just kind of left alone, let him there. And then once he was away after, after the show, though, this is the funny part. Uh, some lady comes up to me uh, and she was like, Oh, that was such a great show. Oh, by the way, I saw him pee on you. And all I did was smile. And I was like, uh huh. <laughs> that's awesome. And by the way, friends, that's how you know you were talking to someone who has worked with animals a long time because the story starts off with a porcupine ejaculated on me. And then she says, now here comes the funny part. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I have another porcupine ejaculation story. What the, what this one's not mine, though. What the hell did you just say to me? What? That's not even what. Oh my god! Okay, so let's hear porcupine right. ejaculation and story number I, two. I'm gonna not say my friend's name because this friend. I won't even say the gender because I might accidentally later on because uh, they don't like this story at all. In fact, if it was their way, no one would know about this. So this is a. Uh, I won't even say the zoo. So uh, they walk in. This was a, a prehensile tail porcupine. They walk in to do a live check because every morning you got to live check them. And so they walk in and uh, they're looking for Max, the prehensile tail porcupine. Can't find him. Can't find him. Kind of stands up, looks into this little like higher perch. And then <laughs> right in the eyes. Oh, no. <laughs> the thing is, no one would have known about this. But they, they, they you know, they close up the enclosure. They go into the kitchen where the eye wash station is, they're washing their eyes out. And then in comes our lead keeper, and they're like, what happened? <laughs> and they're like, I don't want to tell you. And our lead's like, no, you have to tell me because you're using the eye wash station. This could, I need to know what happened. And they're like, all right, Max just in my face. <laughs> so if it was there, no one would know about it, but Amazing. I love that story so much. That and is I'm, so good. I'm like, you should tell the story to everyone. Like, no. No. See, and this is why I have a movement going. I don't know if you've heard of this yet, but I encourage keepers to show animals porn because then they would learn nice things like that. That is considered rude. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wow, this, 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 this episode is getting wildly <laughs> off the rails. I might introduce new things to them. I don't know if we want that. <laughs> it's like every time that I know an animal that needs, like you know, sometimes animals like watching DVDs and stuff, and it's always like Disney movies. No, no, oh no. My gosh, Come I'm on. just imagining apes now, like. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. 
All right, if, you, if you're thinking about the zoos, get it approved by everyone above you. Make sure your vet staff approves it. Probably PR, too. Chances are they won't, but... PR would frown upon showing your animals porn is, is what I've taken away from this interview, so... <laughs> Woo! All righty. <clears throat> so before we move on, do we have any other porcupine ejaculation stories? I just need to check. Uh, we're, we're at two right now. No. no. Okay. I mean, there's plenty more, but that's all we're sharing. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So I have a question before we move on from the living desert. Yeah. Um, you, in both the internship stuff that you're talking about and now at, at, at your first job and living desert, you said that you write shows and programs. And as a professional entertainer, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. Like what goes into the thoughts of scripting that and how much work goes into it and how many, cause you said basically you're doing it yourself. Um, I assume you still need to get approval from PR, just like showing animals porn. And, um, <laughs> I, but I'm curious, like what goes into writing a show and, and how much thought goes into it? How much time does it take? Um, who do you have to work with to like, you know, do we need sound? Do we need different perching? Do we need, you know, how, how does all of that get designed? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a, there's a lot. I probably put a lot more thought into it because like, I, I love doing, that's one of my favorite, I mean, I don't say my favorite part because the animals and like educating, but I love writing shows. Um, but first, the first thing I think about is, well, what animals do we have available? And so just think about our department. And so. You know, if it's, you know, bird show, you obviously just have birds or I guess some zoos don't like saying shows anymore. They like saying uh, programs, I guess. Yes. Or training sessions. Yeah, I like open saying shows because it whatever. tricks the public to come in and then you got them hooked. Yes, I actually <laughs> agree with them. that. I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with using terminology to get people in as long as the yeah. training in the show is good exactly. and done properly and all of that. But, yeah. you know, I get I get both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. So then once we figure out what animals we have available, then you think of thinking about how big a staff you have to help per day. So that, does that mean you get a one speaker show, a two speaker show? And a lot of this also depends on who's behind the scenes, because what you don't realize when you're watching the show is that, well, one person's talking and you have this like hawk flying around. There's like probably at least one or two staff members, possibly like a handful of interns back there who are helping you out. So you have to think about what hands are on deck to help you. And, uh, that also depends on what animals you're using. So if you have like birds, sometimes you need specific trainers, especially if like they have a better relationship with certain birds or you need uh, someone to handle that animal. So if it's like a big snake, like a red tail boa, you got to have somebody who can hold a big snake and bring it out or someone who can train an armadillo on stage. So I just smacked my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> We're professionals folks. Yes. Yes, we are. Um, and so, once you have like what animals you need to think about what behaviors do you want to elicit and have or be shown. Um, and so with that though, while you're doing all this, you also need to think, what's the message? What's the message that you want? That's probably the most important thing because you know, some shows I go to that I've seen is just, or even like on TV, you're like, here's a hawk. Watch it fly. <laughs> they live to this year's, they live to be 30 years old. Their nest looks here. They have this many eggs. It's just generic facts. And like, it's really hard to remember that. And so I always try to make it fun, entertaining, exciting, and you don't want to just bombard them with facts because that's the stuff they can ask at the end. And they don't remember that half the time anyways. Like, oh, how many eggs does it lays? Nobody remembers that unless they're like, they're really invested. <clears throat> so with that, you got to have to like tie all that in together. And uh, so whatever your message is, you can have like characters. It depends. Like, like the shows I wrote were usually direct um aim for younger audiences so it need to be a lot more uh, like flamboyant and exciting uh versus because especially with the smaller kids you usually have like lizards or snakes or even like a cockroach so it's harder to see so it's the the person's job on stage who we can call him an actor at this point <laughs> um to grab the audience's attention versus when you think about like bird shows or dolphin shows those animals are just big and flashy they kind of already grab the audience so that also helps you determine how silly of writing you're going to be and how over the top of acting you're going to be. So like I would do the, the, the kids show and I would be like over the top, crazy, kind of like I'm a wiggle slash <laughs> Sesame street or whatever you want to say, Disney channel craziness. And then, but if I did the bird show, I'd, well, I'd still be pretty crazy. Cause I want, you know, there's still kids there. 
Uh, but and because you're bit. clearly crazy. Only a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think, I mean, all joking aside, it is important to have your personality shine through. I think yeah. that's an important yeah. part of it. Well, but that's yeah. part <laughs> of the reason how it like, helps relate people. Like, I'm sure you've seen, like, think about professors you've had who are just, like, very monotone and boring. And it's very hard to learn from that. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm teaching, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, teaching a bunch of kids about animals, doing my podcast, or else coach soccer, so any of that, I try to think about the professors and teachers that, like, I learned from. Like, what what about them ga- gathered my attention, and what about it taught me this stuff? And that's what I bring into my my teaching. That's awesome. That makes sense. So how do you then partner with, like, like okay, so you write a show, right? So yes. you've thought through everything that you just said, and you come up with your message, and you have your animals, and you figure out your behaviors, and all of that, and you script something, and then how do you turn it into a reality? Well, again, we got we do have to get it approved, obviously. <laughs> so usually that kind of just goes to, like, whoever my boss is at the time. They kind of look over it. And um, a lot of times, too, I'll talk to, like, the other people who would be performing the show um, and being like, is this, is this character doable for you? Is this doable for you? Does this make sense? Because part of it, too, we, like you said, we want to bring their personality in there so they all have to, like, kind of change it as they will. Um, but also with this kid's show, usually there's more sound effects. Or noises and stuff. So um, a little bit more like uh, prop work, I guess. I forgot what it's called, like a set person backstage who kind of has to like push buttons, release animals. Yeah, like a uh, stage manager. In, there, in the, that's yeah. the word, stage yeah. manager. I, I do this for a living, so you know. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so we do have to talk with um, like our multimedia department and IT department sometimes to get like the sound system working. Like does it get tested every every year? Make sure microphones work. <laughs> And make sure the set, the stage doesn't get flooded and ruin your equipment because that happens sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> laughing because you say check the sound equipment once a year. And again, as a, a performer, it, it's a once well, a day thing normally. But I, I hear you. I hear well, you. Well, no, no, no. Like we check it daily. But like before the season starts, we're like, hey – IT guys, come come check right, this out. Right, right. It's something I've mentioned this on here before, but a, a service I'd like to offer at some point to zoos, if I have some more downtime where I'm not drumming all the time, is to just go and be an audio uh, engineer to check out. Yeah. Because I go to these places, and not only can you often not hear people, but like it's so obvious to me why. Like I'll be sitting in the center, yeah. and I'll be like, why can't I hear what they're saying? And I'll look up, and there will be a speaker pointing left, and a speaker pointing right, and we're mm-hmm. in the center, and I'm like, yeah. All right, let's talk about how sound works, friends. Um, well, I think it's my theater background that makes me like so like like why isn't this working? This needs to work. We have to and like I right. I would I would be like buddy buddies with the person who knows who actually knows how it works and like how do I fix this? Right, that's because, really like, smart. It was yeah. important to me. I wanted to yeah. sound good. We're representing the zoo, these animals and ourselves, so it's like let's make it count. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's really cool. Um man, it's it's cool to think about all the collaboration that goes into that though. That's really that's really yeah. cool. So, you left the living desert. Where did you yes. go next? Yeah, well, I was, at, I was there for five years. That's and a then good amount of time. It was, and it was, it was great because I ran that program, and then it came time when, like, I'm ready to move on and get more animal training experience. Since I was running that program, it kind of, like, that's kind of all I was doing, and I was right. like, I got away from the animals, so I want to train more. And so then I went to Zoo Atlanta. And, we uh, love Zoo Atlanta on this podcast. Yes, I, yeah. I have. Often yeah, you've had said, Danica Wolf here on multiple yes. times. Yeah, so you know, you know my buddy Danica, huh? Oh yeah, I know, I know oh, Danica. Oh yeah, Danica and I recently hung out in uh, Boston. Um, she's she's living up there now. Yeah, and um, I was doing a show up there, and uh, we we hung out, and and she took me and bought me cannolis, and uh, I finally got to hang out with her person Pat, who is an awesome dude. Oh yeah, and um, we had so much fun. And I'll tell you what, if nothing else from this podcast had happened except for becoming friends with Danica and getting to hang out with her up in Boston and stuff, it would have been okay. But um, <laughs> but m- much more has happened, and that's cool too. But uh, yeah, Danica is amazing. And and Danica was my fourth episode. And Zoo Atlanta working with me and Rachel trusting me mm-hmm. and all of that gave me so much credibility because it's such a good, real facility. Yeah. And so many people cared about Iggy. Our first episode was about mm-hmm. their red panda that had passed there. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so many people cared about Iggy that it also got in a ton more listeners than my first three had had it up to that point. And I, I credit Zoo Atlanta, uh, Rachel and Danica with a mm-hmm. lot of the success that I've had, honestly. Yeah, they're fantastic there. Like, yeah, yeah. I love it. 
Yes. I love it, but I'm not there anymore. But right. so tell me about I love Atlanta. Atlanta. So why did you go to Atlanta? What what took you all the way across the country? <laughs> well, one thing that um, people who who want to become zookeepers might not know is that you kind of need to be flexible about where you live. Like you can't be too particular. Like if you like, oh, I'm going to work at San Diego. Well. San Diego, I believe, is union, and so they get paid well and may take a while for them to leave. Like, that's my – I grew up in Oregon, so I'm like, oh, Oregon Zoo. Like, they're union. Like, people don't quit willy-nilly, like, all the time. <laughs> they get paid well. So you kind of have to be willing to move in order to get the experience that you need and that you want. Um, so that was – you know, that's part of it. But, uh, like I said earlier, uh, I wanted more animal experience, like working, training with animals, because um, at the Living Desert, which, you know, I had that great opportunity to run that program – but ultimately, I was basically just kind of Vanna Whiting these animals around. I wasn't really, like, training them to the level that I wanted to. Right. Even though if I had more time, I could have, which is always, like, a zookeeper's thing. If I had more time, I'd train more, do more uh, enrichment. And, like, you would have to create the time, but it was, it was hard since I was going to at least – I went to, like, over 200 schools a year. So it was – or 200 programs a year. So yeah. it, was, it was a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so coming to Zoolana um, gave me more of the opportunity to train more. And I've got to train oh, so many. I got to train an alligator. Nice. I love alligators. Like people just think they're like these like floating logs in the water. No, they are so smart. First, they're stinking cute. Like baby <laughs> alligators. Oh, I love. I, they're like one of my favorite animals now. They're so cute. Um, we had three of them. Uh, Hercules, Perseus, and Odysseus. Nice. And uh, um, and we were training them. And my goal was to have them run across the stage, which, you know, sounds a little, it was a little challenging. Um, <laughs> especially, here's why it was so challenging. Like, if you think about, like, you know, your dog at home, you can train it all the time because dogs are warm-blooded. They have to eat all the time, so you have more opportunity to feed them. But alligators, they don't eat all the time. So even as a baby, they eat all the time. So we had to kind of figure out when we could feed them and not overfeed them, make sure they're still motivated, but still getting enough food to grow. It was this really fine balance. Oh, that's really interesting. I never thought of that. That's really cool. Yeah. But was even more challenging. And uh, this is why when you train animals, you should not only know the individual, but also the animal species itself is that alligators um, have uh, these little sensing on the bottom of their jaw. And when they're in the water, if something lands in the water, it creates like that ripple in the water. They can feel that vibration with those little bumps on their jaw. And that was really important. That was a critical like aha moment in our training because like we had the alligator go into a kennel. We drop a little, it's called a uh, crock chow. Uh, looks like, looks like cocoa puffs, but it's nice. not cocoa puffs. Do not eat it. <laughs> it taste, I didn't taste it because it smelled like fish and smelled disgusting. I've tasted some food. This one I would not, uh, you drop it in this dry kennel and the alligator couldn't find it. All we did was add like an inch of water, drop the food in there. And then instantly the alligator was like, oh, food. I get it. You can reinforce me now. Oh, that's so cool. And a weird animal fact. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and they have really good hearing too. They got little ear slits. Oh, I love them. I love that. That's awesome. I can tell. That's so cool. <laughs> it did take a while to get him. We only had work. I had to focus on one to get him to go across the stage. He didn't do it a whole lot um, just because. We're not able to train him as much as the other animals because of his um, his feeding schedule. Uh, but when he did go, it was amazing. And like, and because you don't really get to see an alligator on land, especially in Atlanta. Usually, like they go to Florida, they see them in the water just floating along. On land, though, you see the little feet kind of waddle back and forth. Ah, it was great. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, when I was in the Everglades, uh, I. I- I was driving, it was actually on my way back from Zoo Miami when I was doing a gig down there. I just interviewed Ron McGill and I was like, ooh, I want to go see an alligator in the wild. And so I just literally, I was driving through the Everglades and I just pulled over and went to a water, like the water that was right there. And I was like, this, this probably won't work. And sure enough, all the way across the water from me, and I was standing right by the the, the shore, um, a gator was just, like you said, logging by, just drifting by. <laughs> and I was like, that's so cool. Oh, I wish it was closer. And then I turned to my left and there was one just right there and it was gliding right <laughs> past me. Granted. I was like, was like <laughs> okay, wow. Thanks for not killing me, friend. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was very cool. They are really amazing animals. Yeah, I wish they got more credit because um, 
being in the South, especially, gators have a different kind of a view. I mean, it's also a culture thing. Like if you think about different, like like guinea pigs, for example. Here we love them as pets. People eat them in South America, so it's it's a cultural thing. People just view them differently, and I just wish people viewed alligators as this smart, intelligent, like cute, amazing thing that they really are. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay, so that was Zoo Atlanta, and that was that was one of your animals there. And then, so like, you're not a keeper anymore. What what led to that decision? <laughs> well, it was a, it was not an easy decision. It was, um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I took a lot of time, thought about it, but um, ultimately, a lot of it had to do with um, I wasn't educating people because of COVID anymore, and that's really what I wanted to do. Um, and also this is something I don't want to, I feel like this is going to like, I don't put a bad image on certain, certain people in zoos, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I just want to say every person at the zoo, every zoo who works animal loves them so much are excellent trainers. Um, but I, I was having issues with my manager. I don't know if that's. But no, no, uh, look, like, look, I, I actually disagree with what you just said. I'm going to be brutally honest here. Um, I don't think everybody that works at a zoo is there for the right reasons and, and loves animals. And, and I think that they get ferreted out pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But and I also think the other thing that happens a lot is as people move up in the ranks and stuff and are spending less time with animals, every once in a while, every once in a while, I think 97% of the people are exactly what you said. But You'll have you'll have bad entities anywhere you go, and I, I think that's valid. And I think it can even be not just like a bad person; um, yeah. it can just be. And that's also a why it was so hard view. for me to bring up. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, like one thing I see a lot in the zoo world—not just like some of the managers I've had in the past, because I've had plenty of managers, whether it was at the zoo or not—who um, you know they got there because they have they're excellent, they're great at their job. You know, as far as like in the zoo world, usually they're excellent animal trainers. Um, but they don't have that that people aspect. As a manager, you need to have that person connection. You need to you need to uplift, encourage, empower your staff, which I wasn't getting, and I and I, I needed that, especially during mm-hmm. this COVID time. And that's why it was so hard for me to make this decision. But ultimately, at the end of the day, and, and I feel like Simone Biles at this point, like I had to think about myself and my mental health and what was best for me. Mm-hmm. And and I took a long bath. I popped on like some of my most my my like my Casey Musgraves, and I thought really hard, really long. And I was like, "Is this really what I want to do?" And at the end, I was like, "Yes, I have to do this right now." And I it like it was so hard. And uh, I mean, my roommate still works at the zoo. My best friends are at the zoo, and I love the zoo so much. And I love everyone there. It's just this was my journey. This uh-huh. is where I had to go. I just wish that zoos today are getting or helping managers become more people oriented so they can help encourage their staff members to be the best they can be because that's what a leader does so and i think that's what we need so i agree and leadership is a huge topic on this podcast and something that i'm really passionate about because i am a leader i have lots of various roles that that make me do that on on the road and stuff um and i've always been passionate about leadership ever since i was a kid and wanted to be like a boy scout leader um you know back when i was in my troop and um i think that have you ever heard of the peter principle I don't think so. Okay, we're going to be real nerdy right now. Yeah. So there is a thing in leadership, that, well, in management really as well, called, called the Peter Principle. And it is a, a point that gets made a lot that says basically, here's what happens. You take – and we'll take this out of animals. We'll take it out of music. We'll just – let's talk about a software engineer, right? So you start out and you are a software engineer and you are the best – damn software engineer that this company has ever had. But, of course, there's seniority, so you start off as a software engineer three. They quickly realize that you're doing well, so they move you up to a software engineer two, and then you get promoted to software engineer one, and then you get a raise, and then you get another raise. But at some point, the company is going to say, we're not, we, we don't care how good you are. We don't care that you are the best we've ever had. We can't pay you more than you know, 120 grand a year or whatever. Managers start at 150. So your only way to get ahead in life mm-hmm. is to then either leave there for another company where you might have to start off at the bottom or struggle with new people or whatever, yep. or become a manager. Now, the skills that make you a good software engineer do not <laughs> make you a good manager automatically. And in yeah. fact, with a lot of roles like possibly zookeeping, especially in the non-educational side and like software engineering and stuff, make you a 
bad manager. You know, you've, you've spent a lot of time. The more time you spend with the computer, the less time you're spending with people. But because you're the best programmer, you're going to get the promotion. And because you want to get ahead in life, you're going to take it. And so the Peter Principle basically says that people raise up to a position that they are no longer good at and then either get fired or do a bad job and get dropped back and feel bad and end up going to different companies. So companies constantly lose the retention of their best employees because of this principle. Whereas if you would just keep giving raises and keep finding ways to support the person in the job they're good at, you know, yeah, um, yeah it's it's a real you know, interesting that all principle. Ties, this is also why I'm probably a little bitter about it is because uh, in the animal field, we, you've talked about positive reinforcement on this all the time, right? So like, Animal as a zoo field, you all you understand that you understand pause reinforcement. You apply it every day to your animals, but yet it's somehow it doesn't translate to humans to their staff, and that's that's one thing I, I wish it would help everyone and animals too. Because if your staff is happy, the animals will be happy, your guests will be happy, the world will be happy. So it, it's a little thing, but it has to start somewhere, and it's just. Take the positive reinforcement you apply to the animals, apply it to not just your staff, even if you're not a manager, apply it to the people around you. So I'm going to throw it back at you a little bit then. <laughs> you clearly seem to have a lot of opinions on this, and you clearly seem to have the type of personality <laughs> that would make you a good leader. So by stepping away from the field to protect your own mental health, you did the right thing. But do you think there's anything that you can do at some point to either reenter the field or just work with people in the field to make that situation better yeah possibly i mean i've you know we all have those like <laughs> daydreams you kind of fantasize about like oh i could do this or this i could have a ted talk on this uh i you know just the follow through and the commitment towards it really uh but right now i have my a different journey maybe yeah. one day i'll get there because it would help out a whole lot i mean and right now i think the zoo might need i think the whole world needs that kind of like positive reinforcement though honestly yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And it's so easy to to not. I, um, you know, I have a puppy right now and, and I'm using positive reinforcement training. And it's so challenging sometimes to know that I could take a shortcut and, yeah. and go negative and get a quicker result, but a worse overall, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's, it is challenging in the moment and I'm patient, <laughs> you know, um, but no, I, I totally respect that. That's cool. All right. Well, um, I've, I've enjoyed hearing about your journey and I, I guess uh, uh, it's kind of the end here. So let's talk about, do you have any conservation organizations that you would like to give a shout out to? Well, I don't have a specific one because I thought about this, but ultimately when I think about like people who want to donate, but don't have any money, but still want to help out, there's actually a really easy, great way to do this. And you can still like kind of be involved. Just go to a zoo, go to an aquarium, go to a state park, a national park, or the museum. And even if you're just paying for that one day admission or membership, you're not only are you getting an experience, but you're also helping that facility create and promote conservation. And by you going to that instills a nice little spark in you. And then you're passionate about the animal or tree, whatever it is you happen to fall in love with, and you pass it on to people around you. And then from there, they have a new spark, then they go to the zoo, and so on. It's like this domino effect. So it's not just one place. So wherever you are, whether you're here in Atlanta or Philly or California or Russia, go to the zoo near you and support it that way. I love it. That is such a great message. And folks, if you want to look into that, that is the Red Panda Network that she said she is promoting. Uh, redpandanetwork.org. No, I kid. That is honestly a great message. And I mean, literally, if you listen to the end of the credits, which I doubt anyone does, but if you do, I end every episode by saying, now stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. So uh, yeah, I'm all about that. All about that life. Uh, and that brings us to not the porcupine ejaculation story, which doesn't have its own song yet. Not yet. But... It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. Oh, I thought about this because I don't have a good poop story. Poop story. But I have some skills about poop. Okay, let's hear your poop skills. Well, I'm very good at catching poop in the air. Here's an example. <laughs> I had an owl on my glove at a news on the news and they had this nice carpet and 
when you work with an owl for long enough for a bird, you know when they're getting ready to like, you know, expel their their business. And I saw this bird kind of squat down and I was like, uh-oh, this is nice carpet. I gotta, I gotta, and like just like a like a ninja, whoosha! Caught nobody even saw it, but I'm standing there with <laughs> with with this poop in my hand. <laughs> nice. And my second poop skill is uh at Zoo Atlanta, we have the reptile room. And in there we have snakes, lizards, tortoises. And uh, walking in the room, I could walk in that room and I could smell a poop and I could tell you which animal pooped that poop. Because <laughs> we had a an eastern indigo snake named Cooper who, if you don't know what an indigo snake is, they are, they're a beautiful black snake. So they're endangered too. They're wonderful. And this Cooper was the coolest snake. He's my favorite snake in the whole world. Um, he passed away, unfortunately. But he, as an indigo snake, they have a higher metabolism, so they poop more and it's runnier. So you walk in there, you kind of get this, like, a not great smell. Like, most carnivores don't have that good a smell because, like, you know, they're eating other animals and it goes to the digestion, comes out, doesn't smell as good. So his smell, I could identify his smell perfectly. Also, lizard smell, poop smell, has a different odor than, like, tortoise smell. And depending on which tortoise it is or turtle, it's got a little bit different smell too. So I can identify reptile poop smell from smell alone. So nice. there's my next, that'll be on my resume. I was going to say, yeah, world. yeah, yeah. When, when, uh, <laughs> I don't know about the real world, but in the entertainment industry, at the bottom of your resume, you put special skills and it's just yes. like stuff that you can do. And I had that on my dating profile for a while and, uh, I, I'm still single by the way. So maybe that wasn't helping. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should we should create a, a zoo dating app for like zookeepers and animal. I don't people. know most most uh, people at the zoo they're they're either married or they're gay or they're married. Gay gay people are allowed to date. Hell, gay people are, are allowed to be married. That was they are they are. But when you're a, a single straight girl, you 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 gotta. Slim pickings in the zoo world. Fair, fair. Uh, in the entertainment industry, um, at least in the theater world where I work, if if you are a male Same, huh? who is straight and single, you get nabbed up pretty quick. They huh? call you a unicorn. It, oh. It's literally a term that you will literally hear someone be like, "Oh yeah, he's a unicorn," and that's what that means. So yeah, um, cool, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is so much yeah, fun. Yeah, and uh, one more time, tell everyone where they can check out your podcast. Well, if you're listening to this podcast now, you can just go to the little search engine, type in Weird Animal Facts Explicit. You can find me there or any other podcasting service. Uh, we're also on Instagram at WAF Podcast. And that's the same handle for TikTok as well. So check it out. Awesome. Love it. Thanks. So there you have it, folks. That's Deidre and I being goofy as heck and having a lot of fun doing it. Don't forget that you can check out the Weird Animal Facts podcast on any podcast app, including the one you're listening to right now. And now that you're almost done with this episode, you can go listen to me on the most recent episode, spouting off random stuff about red pandas. You're shocked. I know. Anyway, also make sure that you're following along at WAF Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. And while you're following things, I'd like to remind you that you can follow Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on TikTok at Rossafari Pod. And you can support the pod by visiting patreon.com slash Rossafari, like my good friend Laura Shank, who is my Red Panda-level patron. Thanks, Laura. And thank you to everyone else who is a different-level patron. I appreciate you all so much. All right, y'all. Remember, the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.